Welcome to Olivet Community Church. We're so blessed and honored to have you here today joining us online. Just looking forward to entering into God's presence together, listening for His voice, and then responding in obedience. I want to just take a couple minutes, if I could, and welcome those of you who might be visiting with us. We've got friends in the West Coast, on Seattle, and Oregon, and California. We've got Friends on the East Coast in North Carolina, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Friends overseas who are watching, uh, some of our missionaries, I know that we love you and are praying for you. If you'd do me a favor, uh, there's a couple ways of registering your presence with us. Um, You can text your name to area code 812-457-9509, and uh, we will see that, and and any messages you would like to give us... um, any ways that we can pray for you or rejoice with you, we would greatly desire to do that. Also, if you would uh, consider liking our page or liking this um, this um, worship service, other people might see that and join us as well. You might have noticed that we are projecting this morning uh, our main service at, at 9 o'clock. We're starting to prepare for a few weeks down the road now when we're able to reassemble and we'll be on our new schedule. As we are so blessed to be in this new facility, I wonder if I can do this with you and um, possibly give you a little bit of a picture of our new uh, facility. We're blessed to partner with Oak Hill um, Church here and to um, share facilities. They're graciously renting a space. There's the cross in the front of the sanctuary. And uh, we are just privileged to be able to worship here with them. And our services will be at 9 o'clock, and then our Sunday school and our and our uh, small groups will be at 10.15 or 10.30. Um, their services will be just the opposite. Their Sunday school will meet at 9 o'clock, and their worship service will be in the sanctuary at, at 10.30. So we're grateful to God for this partnership in the gospel and just look forward to having you join us in person in the near future. Speaking of the near future, a couple of dates are coming up quickly for us. One is that next Sunday, May 3rd, will be one of our communion Sundays. If you haven't done this with us before, uh, we do communion virtually as well. Um, We'll celebrate it together simultaneously all over the world. Um, through the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup together. All that you need to do in preparation for that. Well, one of the things you need to do in preparation for that is to prepare some bread and some juice to use as the elements. And we'll set them apart and bless them before we, before we partake of them. But then we just also invite you to use this week to seek God's face, to enter into his presence through his word, and then to prepare your heart for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Just remember that, that all who trust in Jesus Christ are welcome to come to the table of the Lord. God just asks us to examine our hearts, not to see if we're pure because we are not. There was only one pure one. But then to let him gently bring to the surface those things that are yet unsurrendered to him, to seek forgiveness and to entrust them to him. So let's use this week to prepare our hearts for that great privilege of the Lord's Supper, and then we'll celebrate at the conclusion of our service next week together. The following week, May 10th, is Mother's Day, and we're anticipating that we probably still will be in isolation on May 10th here in Indiana, but um, it would be really helpful if you would bless us by sending us pictures of uh, mothers and children together. You can send us pictures of your whole family if you would like. By the way, while you're doing that, it's a great time to get pictures of your dad and children together for Father's Day next month. But if you'd bless us by sending us updated pictures of your families, uh, then we will rejoice to put together a special celebration in two weeks for Mother's Day. Well, we have been studying together the scriptures, the word of God, but we've been using the Apostles' Creed as a structure to be able to think deeply about what we believe and to be able to respond. 
today we take the first phrase of that Apostles' Creed. I want to invite you, just as we prepare our hearts for worship, to join me in the entire Apostles' Creed. Would you say it with me? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Christian Church, in the communion of saints, in the forgiveness of sins, in the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's worship God together, shall we?
privilege, God, to encounter you in worship, to add our voices to myriad angels and saints who've gone before, who cry out before the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God, we confess that when we encounter your holiness, it magnifies in our minds our own unholiness. And we have a problem. Sin separates us from you. We, like so many before us, have fallen short of the glory of God. And we feel that separation. We feel that distance. Oh God, is it possible that even now you would hear our silent cry as we confess to you our sin, as we confess to you our fears, as we confess to you our brokenness. Oh God, with the prophet Isaiah, we cry out, we are a people of unclean lips. And we live among those with unclean lips. Yet our eyes have seen the King. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven and came to earth to live the life that we could not live. That you died in our place for our sins so that we might be restored to right relationship with God through even your lifeblood. So we thank you and praise you. We receive that precious gift today. And having surrendered our sins, now we lift up our faces, God. We look to you and invite you to lead us into life. And we love you. And thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Oh, beloved, I just am so privileged to say to you those words that set us free. You see, if we confess our sins, John said, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of Spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. Thank you. 
billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If it all reveals your nature, so will I I can see your heart in everything you say So will I So will I So will I King David when he was just a child would spend virtually every evening in the fields with the flocks It's no wonder is it then as he would later write prayers to God as he would later write songs of worship for God that he would speak of how the heavens spoke to him here the word of God would you from Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky the sky above proclaims his handiwork In other words, all of creation is declaring God's glory. It's speaking. The question is not whether whether creation is speaking. The question is whether we have ears to hear God's word through creation. The stars are declaring his glory. The stars were made to worship him. How about you? Will you worship him with us? Stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. So will I If the sum of all our praises still fall shy We'll sing again a hundred billion times scripture today is from Isaiah 40 verses 28 through 31. 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah, for bringing us a portion of God's word. We'll look at many passages today in our study. But isn't that an incredible statement? This passage that she just shared with us is one of the most beloved passages of Scripture. I, don't, I think possibly because of the very circumstances we find ourselves in. We are faint. We are weary. We we have no strength, but we look to the one who gives us his strength. Mm. It's our great privilege today to turn, especially today, to think deeply about God in particular. And the first phrase of the Apostles' Creed, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Stop for just a second, would you, and think for a moment, what is, what is the most important thing, not to you now, but about you? What is the most important thing about you? If you're like me, you're tempted to turn to those things that, that um, give you confidence for some of you, it might, be, it might be your parents, and we spend quite a bit of time, don't we, um, uh, working with our parents so that we appear well to other people. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I uh, am wearing the same clothes that I wore yesterday because um, I dropped the ball on the videotape yesterday and, and had to retape this morning. Um, so I, I'm, I feel weird being in the same clothes. My appearance apparently matters to me. It surprises some of you, but it matters. But, but our appearances change, don't, don't they? They go away over time. If that's what we trust, then we're on a very slippery slope that's going to lead to disappointment. For many of us, it's, we're tempted to, to trust in finances and and, and we find this little bit of confidence in knowing that we have resources available to us in case of emergency. We've seen the extreme example of that, haven't we, in these weeks where, where the currency of, of the COVID virus has become, become hand sanitizer or, or toilet paper, and it's no longer even money. Doesn't that bring Scripture alive? Those Old Testament passages where it talks about how, how, how a loaf of bread is more valuable than gold, right? You could see how easily currencies can fall short. For many of us, our confidence and our trust, the most important thing about us is who we're related to, right? Our families. And, and I celebrate that. Please don't misunderstand me. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. The problem is that they all go away, right? We, we age, family systems change. If our trust and our confidence, even our identity is tied up in who we're related to, those things go away. We need a, a more core foundation, do we not? That's the beauty of the Apostles' Creed. It gives us something eternal, to build our life upon. It gives us something, something everlasting to put our weight down on. Well, what we think about God we saw last week matters. Just a, a summary of last week, we talked about, yes, what we think about matters, but, 
but also what we believe, what we put our weight down on matters. And then we saw last week that as we um, introduced this whole We Believe series, we saw that what we do matters, what we actually put into practice matters as well. But I want to go back to that rough outline in thinking about this first phrase of the Apostles' Creed, because what we think about God matters. If you've not discovered a W. Tozer, his most classic book, I think, is probably The Pursuit of God. But he summarized the entirety of all of our Christian discipleship when he said, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Wow, those are strong words, right? What the church means when it says the word God is the most important thing about the church. And here's the problem for the church. Here's the problem for you or me individually. If we begin with the wrong conception of God, we will misconstrue the entirety of the Christian faith as well. So let's go back to this passage today. Can we do that? Let's open our Bibles. Let's let's, um, open our phones to this passage from Isaiah 40 and see what we can learn about God, as many of you did in your soap studies or your small group studies this week. Let's see what we can learn about ourselves, right? And let's see what we can learn about the relationship between God and ourselves. What do we learn about God from this passage today? I want to suggest to you that we learn several things. We learn who God is, and we learn what God is. I know that sounds awkward, but I'll try and explain myself. And then we learn what God does as a result of who and what he is as well. Let's start with this first one. We learn who God is. Now, it sounds like an odd thing because for most of us, when we think of God, we think of the Christian, the Judeo-Christian uh, concept of the living God. And, and so our minds automatically go there. But, but I want you to work this exercise with me today because for most people around us, they do not go there. They do not have that same conception. So when the word begins to describe this God who you and I might have put our trust in a long time ago, it might be brand new news for them and for some of us even today. What do we learn about who God is here from this passage? Oh, we don't have time today, but I just really want to encourage you. This, this passage is incredible. Something, something happened right here at the end of Isaiah 39 and then the beginning of Isaiah 40. Um, some critical scholars think that it was two different time periods. I, I'm confident that 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 it's truth any way you understand it. But I understand it that, that God gave vision to Isaiah for the first 39 chapters of what was to come, the judgment that was to come for, for Israel, for the northern ten tribes. And then, as, as God always does, even as he pronounces judgment, he speaks comfort. He speaks hope into the midst of the struggle. It's, it's as if he was speaking to you and me today. He, he says, yes, there is, there is disease. There's pestilence in the land, but there's also hope. There will be light and life on the other side. And beginning in Isaiah chapter 40, he speaks comfort into the lives of his people. But twice, he, he asks these rhetorical questions. In 21, he says, do you not know? Have you not heard, right? And, and it's a rhetorical question. Of course you know these things, Isaiah is saying. You, he's reminding us of these things. And again, he, he repeats himself in, in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Now, now I want to say here, we learn who God is. Included in this phrase, the Lord is the everlasting God, is the idea that there is a God. In the Septuagint version of the Old Testament and in the Greek New Testament, it's, it's that word theos that we get the word theology from, right? There is this 
this concept of a God who surpasses anything um, humans can conceive, uh, right? And, and here's the deal. Uh, most of us have, whether intentionally or not, placed something or someone in that role. As we saw earlier, it could be relationships. It could be a, a, a parental figure. It could be, uh, it could be a, someone who's impacted our lives in a big way. It could, it could be our financial security. It could be our health. It could be so many things, but something that we give ultimate allegiance to. And, and the beauty and the power of this first expression here is, is Isaiah tells us who it is. Now you're saying, what are you talking about? Look at that, that word, L-O-R-D. This is going to be very powerful for us for the next couple of weeks. L-O-R-D. Do you notice how it's in capital letters there? Um, why is that? If you were to turn to the very first page of your Bible, the introduction, it would tell you that whenever you see that word L-O-R-D in capital letters, that is the, the, uh, the special name of God that he revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. In other words, for the longest time, people just related to God like you and I do as as the God who has done something for me. And, and so if, if he becomes, if he heals you from your disease, then, then he becomes the healer, right? You are my healer, God. And, and the scriptures, the Psalms are full of expressions like that. If, if he delivers you from, from pestilence or from danger or, or from sin, then, then, then he becomes God who is your deliverer. And, and the people of God from, from Abraham on had been, uh, had been collecting these different experiences of God and calling out to the God who did these things. But in Exodus chapter 3, God gave them his very name, Yahweh. Right? I am that I am. God gave them his very name. Now, why is that important? Because... Because God enables you and me to speak to him with his very name. That's powerful, isn't it? I've shared with you before that I often, I often get um, uh, calls from people. And, and, uh, and I can tell immediately whether they know me or not. Especially if they mispronounce my name. But oftentimes if they call me, well, if they call me Reverend Mills, I know they don't know me very well. They probably are looking at a website or something. Um, if they call me David, parents and, and dear high school friend accepted. If they call me David, I know that they don't know me very well. Only three people call me David. If, if they call me Dave, my attention is immediately drawn to them, right? I snap to attention because I know that we have a personal relationship. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that Isaiah is telling us that this creator of the universe, this God is, the, is Yahweh, the personal God who delivered us through the Red Sea, who delivered us from our bondage. This is our God. So who God is is critically important. Taking a giant step back just for a moment to, from a Christian perspective to look at this, the God of the Bible is God, is God. Now, I know that there are many other competing claims, and, and with integrity, you need, to, you need to examine them. I'm not afraid of that as well, and you don't need to be afraid of that as well, right? Why? Because, because truth will win out, Right? If you look for the truth, you will find it. You will find it and you will discover that this God, our God, is God. We learn who God is. But I I put this rather awkwardly. We also learn what God is, right? It's, It's critical to understand what is it about him that makes him God. 
And we learn several things right here in this passage. I'm not trying to pretend that this is comprehensive. It's just Isaiah, in his, in his quick summary of who God is, he gives us four things to, to wrestle with. He tells us that God is eternal, right? The Lord is the everlasting God. And that has powerful implications for you and me. It means that, that God has always been God and will always be God, right? From eternity past, he has always been God. Now, this is, a, this is a hard thing here in a sense because that means that in those difficult experiences of your life, he was still God. And we'll explore another time what was happening. Where were you, God, when those difficult experiences were happening? Those are worthy questions. We can explore those together. But you need to understand that he was God then. Everything about him that is God was true then. But the other powerful truth is that, is that everything in the future, I just realized that I'm doing my future and your past, but that's okay. Um, everything in the future is, is God as well. He is God for eternity future. And that means that we don't have to fear, right? Because not only will he be there, but in this powerful uh, truth about God that he transcends time. Time is a human element. Uh, Chronos or, or watch time is a human element. He transcends that. He is already in your future. If you're struggling with fear right now in the midst of this COVID virus, Just remember, God has us. He is already in the future. And he will be there when we get there. So we don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Secondly, we learn that God is the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. This is pretty powerful, right? By saying that he is the creator of the universe in 28, he's saying that God is the uncreated one. He is the only uncreated one. But that in love, he created everything that is, right? Everything that ever will be. He is the creator of the universe, and he's still in the business of creating in fact, the consummation of, of all of time is summarized by, by the prophetic phrase from Isaiah, he makes all things new. And then the actual expression in Revelation, he created a new heaven and a new earth. So, so Isaiah is making a powerful, a powerful um, proposal to us here that God, Yahweh, our God, is the creator of the universe. As we'll see in the weeks to come, that's going to have powerful implications on our understanding of Jesus Christ. It's going to have powerful implications on our understanding of the Holy Spirit as well. But, but the beauty that, that he created uh, all around us is a, is a hallmark of who God is. He's eternal. He's the creator of the universe. But then he says this this expression, he does not faint or grow weary, right? He does not faint or grow weary. The the expression here from from Isaiah is that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. We are created in his images, uh, imaged, Genesis 1, 26, 27, right? We're created in his image, but in, a, in many ways we are not like him. We grow tired and weary. But, but God is all-powerful. He does not grow weary. Wait a second, you're thinking, didn't he rest on the seventh day, right, of creation? Yes, but it wasn't because he was weary. It was because he was setting a pattern for you and for me. Um, people who do grow tired and weary. He was giving us a life-giving rhythm that would sustain us all of our days. God is eternal. He is the creator of the universe. He is all-powerful. He does not grow faint or weary. 
But I think there's a powerful truth here as well about what God knows, what God understands. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Do you see that expression? His understanding is unsearchable. So, so God sees, God knows, God understands even when we don't. I'm so grateful for the tools that we have at our disposal. I'm so grateful for all the people that have, have uh, tirelessly worked to protect our health, to try and discover solutions to the pestilence that's upon us right now. Um, they, they are using their God-given abilities to find real solutions, and, and, and we're grateful for that. Isaiah is saying that God understands every aspect of even this virus. And, and his understanding is unsearchable. There's going to be times when what, what we're experiencing and even what God is doing is confusing to us and doesn't make sense and we don't understand it. But Isaiah is making a statement of faith and as as people of the of the church of Jesus Christ we affirm this truth that that he is the everlasting god and his ways are unsearchable even when we don't understand it he still is truth so wow powerful truths about what god is from this passage. Are they comprehensive? Absolutely not. All of scripture declares God's glory and reveals greater insights. But but in this very beginning, as we try and wrap our brains around this concept of God, what help it is to hear the words of Isaiah speaking to us. But I want to go to a third place with you. And that is in, in this passage in Isaiah 40, we learn also what God does, right? What God does. It, we saw that, that, um, that even human beings fall short. We faint and, and, and we struggle and grow weary. But, but look at beginning in verse 29. This is so beautiful. God does not, in 28, grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But now in 29, he gives power... And then you're saying, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Wow. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. When I was preparing this morning to speak to you, one of our high school youth was playing basketball in the gym, and oh my goodness, I wanted so bad to, to get in there and play ball with him. I wanted to practice separation, not risk either of our hells, but, but after, what, six weeks, I was just aching to play ball, and honestly, I was aching to try and put this, this young buck in his place, you know who you are. But um, those days are numbered for me because my strength fails and even youth's strength fails, and they, they fall exhausted. But did you hear what God does? Yes, he gives strength, increases strength to him who has no strength. But he says also, they, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wow. Wow. What God does is comes to those of us whose strength is failing. Your faces are flashing before me even as I speak. And you're wondering, can, do you have even the strength to go on? Oftentimes it's physical strength, but, but sometimes it's emotional strength. And for some, even this morning, it's spiritual strength. Do you have the strength to go on? Know this. This is what God does. You can cry out to him. My rock, my redeemer, all my strength 
even cry out to him in your time of need. And that's what God does. He gives you strength. I don't know that he'll give me the strength to whoop on this young buck on the basketball court, but, but I know that he'll give me strength to press on. He'll give me strength to rise up, right? He'll give me strength to continue. And I know that he'll do that for you. Well, what we, what we think about God, as Tozer said, is, is critical. It, it matters, right? But as we saw last week, we have to take this the next step. What we believe about God matters as well. Remember that putting your faith in something is putting your weight down on what you say you believe. Many people say they believe it, but their actions uh, deny that, that statement, right? Faith is putting your weight down on what you believe. So if you believe that God is eternal, then you don't have to worry about tomorrow, right? For he will be there, and as we saw, he already is there. I'm not, I'm not judging you or condemning you. I'm inviting you to put what is here in here. I'm inviting you to believe what you say you believe. If you believe that God is the creator of the universe, then you don't have to fear the coronavirus. I'm fearful about what I'm about to say, right? Because God created the coronavirus, or he created a world in which the coronavirus existed. I know some of you that just rocks your world. And let me just hint at a truth that we've discovered together before, right? In order to have a world where you can have holiness, you have to have the choice of the unholy. In order to have a world where you can have love, you have to have the possibility of not love. And another name for not love is evil or sin. In order to truly say, I love you, Lord, I have to have the opportunity to choose not to love God. And God created a world where that not love can exist. And as many of you will discover in the coming hour, if you're not able to join us for a small group this morning, I I just invite you, open up Romans chapter 1. Especially, especially I invite you to to, um, study verses 16 through 25. It will reaffirm some of the truths here, but it will take it uh, a step further as well. God created a world where not love can exist, and if we continually choose not love, then eventually he will come to that place where he gives us over to the natural consequences of our choices. And I have to warn you, they're not pretty. They're not pretty. So if you believe that God is the creator of the universe, you don't have to fear creation, right? Because he's Lord over creation. He is sovereign over creation. If you believe that he is God almighty, that he is all powerful, you don't have to fear your circumstances. Certainly your illness, your being laid off, your financial situation, your relational situation. God is sovereign. He is Lord over all those things. And you can put your weight down on that truth. Some of you need to press pause right here and do that. Tell him the things that are causing you to fear, right? Tell him about your circumstances. Surrender them to his sovereign control. If you believe that God is all-knowing, that he is omniscient, then you can rest knowing that he knows and understands your fears, that he hears your cries, that he is working for your good and his glory. So what we think about God matters, what we believe about God matters, and finally what we do in response to God matters, right? They that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. Now let me, let me take a 30,000-foot picture of that for a second, but then I want to I go down with you a little bit and try and understand what does that mean, right? 
at the 30,000 foot level, God is inviting us to find this balance between renewing and responding. There are times to act. There are times to, to respond to the needs of your neighbor. There are times, as so many of you have been doing, to make face masks and to distribute them. There are times to call and make sure someone's okay. There are times to act, but there are just as important, there are times to be still and know that he is God. There are times to renew and refresh. There are times to work and there are times to sleep, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time for everything under heaven. So at the 30,000 foot level, there's a, there's a balance that God is inviting you to between rest and work, between renewing and responding, between being and doing, between waiting and going, right? But now let's look more closely at this word. It's so interesting. Most words in our language have have both um, a literal meaning and and a figurative meaning. I'm, I'm scrambling for a second to think of what might an example be. Um, I can say that that our beloved uh, family member is dead. <laughs> I don't know why my grandfather uh, Ed Mills just passed before my mind. I never met him, but but he died. Um, before I was born, and I would have loved to have known him. But when I say he's dead, I mean literally that there's no life in his body, right? But, but when I say something like, my faith is dead, um, yes, that means there's no life, in, but it's a different thing. It's a figurative meaning, isn't it? And, and, and when we find this, this challenge of God to wait upon the Lord, it's interesting that the figurative meaning of that, of that original uh, uh, Hebrew word, uh, kavah, the, the figurative meaning of that is, is to, uh, with expectation, uh, be still, right? Expectation, thinking about what can happen. Wait on the Lord. And, and we, would, we would understand that to mean wait on his perfect timing, right? But, but the literal meaning? The literal meaning is fresh in my mind. Just a few, a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege, even in the midst of the virus, to do uh, a wedding in isolation. And, and Emily and Forrest, I just pray that you guys are doing well. That was such a beautiful day. Thank you for letting... Um, 12 of us or whatever, witness um, your vows. Thank you, God, for breaking the rain right before the ceremony outdoors and, and giving us such a beautiful expression of covenant marriage. But when I, when I think about um, that, that wedding, when I think about that experience, I just have to stop and catch my breath. You see, in the middle of, of Emily and Forrest's wedding was something I'd never seen done before. They took two cords, one from, from the left side symbolizing Emily, one from the right side symbolizing Forrest, and, and, and then a third different colored cord from the top. And, and they pulled them together and braided them together. In other words, they were symbolizing what was happening to Unique lives were coming together, but, but they were weaving into that, that new strand, that new rope from these three strands, the, the symbol of God, the, the strand of God. They were enacting Ecclesiastes chapter 5, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Here's the crazy thing, beloved. Here's the crazy thing. That word wait is the word for what they did before God that day. To braid together multiple strands, right? In other words, waiting is just not simply doing something. It's intimately weaving your life together with God. And so so this season of the coronavirus doesn't have to be a loss, right? 
In fact, maybe this is a season that God has given us so that we can more intimately experience his presence, so we can weave him into our life, so that we can weave him into our family, so that, so that we can actually increase our strength. You see how this works? We can increase our strength by uniting ourselves with God in this critical time. Yes, as one strand, we are easily broken. Even as, as two, a, a husband and a wife, or as a, a parent and a child, even as two strands now, we're so much more stronger than one. By the way, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 goes deeply into that. But when you weave that third strand into it, and particularly if that strand is the living God we've come to know, it changes everything. It changes everything. Hmm. I know that, that many of you are feeling weak right now, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Praise God. He understands our weakness. Praise God in, in this beautiful expression of his creativity. He created a, a hill just outside the city of Jerusalem. And while to the world it seemed like a place of death, as we saw two weeks ago, to us it has become a place of life. Because God, knowing our circumstances, entered into our circumstances. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and yes, the consequences of not love were were poured out on him. He experienced everything that you and I have experienced and so much more. He suffered, as we will discover, under Pontius Pilate, right? Was crucified, died, and buried on that, that very hill, right? But God raised him from the dead. God broke the power of sin. He broke the power of disease. He broke the power even of death so that you might live, might genuinely live. Oh God, thank you for my sisters and brothers who joined me here before your word today. God, help us. Help us to put our trust in Yahweh, our God, the everlasting Lord. Help us, God, to to risk in the days and weeks ahead, to opening your word and, and hearing you speak, to discovering more and more about who you are, and then, God, in faith, to then entrust ourselves to who you are, to respond to your word, to love others, to love God. And, God, to see these days not as the worst days of our lives, but very possibly because of the waiting, very possibly because of the weaving, to see them as the greatest days of our lives. And we love you, God. Again, we remember those who are suffering today. We lift them up before your throne of grace. Glorious God, meet their needs and show us how we can partner with you in doing that. God, we'll give you the praise. We will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A few moments ago, we were singing a beautiful song about God who created all these starry hosts and called them each by name. But that song continues. Let's continue in worship together. Can we do that? Thank you. 
Starting to understand the same God who spoke the world into creation, the same God whose glory myriad stars in the sky and every creature on earth declares his greatness. That same God has said, I love you. I want to invite you, think deeply with me for a moment. What are you building your life upon? Are you building it upon those false things we spoke of that can never sustain the weight of your soul? Or are you building your life upon what creation is singing, what scripture is declaring? Are you building your life upon his love? I'll build it on his love. I will build my life upon your love it is Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, if you have any needs, if there's some way that we can serve you as the body of Christ, please don't hesitate to, to text us, to let us know. Um, and, and as always, we just pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, who we learned so much about today, and, and the peace and presence of his Holy Spirit would be with you now and forever. Amen.